0: Welcome to the recruitment flex with Surge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Recording live from the Rocky Mountains. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And my co-host is recording. Where are you recording, Shelly? Ah,
1: sorry. I'm in I'm in the big city, the big city of uh, Calgary. Yeah, it's
0: so boring. Always oh, so, so boring. Lucky to be Jeez. in the
1: mountains. Oh my god!
0: Yeah, no, I'm uh, very excited about this week. So I know you've read this gentleman's book. Um, oh, I oh, it, like, Serge, I'm
1: fangirling week. out here. Seriously, let's just well, get you get fangirl on, with
0: it. on everyone. Like oh. poor Hung Lee, you oh. fangirl him, <laughs> Katrina, you fan like.
1: I, no, Jeez. that was flirting. I was flirting with Hung Lee. I'm I fangirling. On- you put me in the category okay. of
0: Katrina and Hung, I mean, my <laughs> goodness.
2: that's I fangirl Katrina, and she thinks I'm weird. I do too. But, yeah. yeah, she's the best. She's
1: I the do, best. too. Like, I read her. I read all of Katrina's stuff as well. Yeah. It, oh, my God. She's
2: so great. Well,
0: that's why we okay. bring on these guests. So how about I introduce James? So, yeah, James, don't call me a guru, Ellis. Um, <laughs> so James is, a, like he likes to call himself, the employer nerd, and um employer brand nerd, not the employer nerd. So I guess if you Google him, he shows up. If you Google employer brand nerd, he shows up in the first page. So welcome, James. Really excited to have you. I'm <laughs> thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. Perfect. I, I forgot to mention too, James is the author of a recently released book that Shelley read and I read, I think in like two days, but I don't read as in-depth as, as Shelley. I'm more like... Um, Sounding the words Staying out. I around the yeah. top, yeah. come
1: yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's all fun. Well, you can you know. tell
1: English is his second language. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Well, he's Canadian. I mean, you know, you can only do so yeah. much. In fact, I, I, I believe I spy.
0: He's French. Oh, well, oh, well what well, are we you doing? Can... Good night, everybody. <laughs> well, I'm French-Canadian, James. So it's like kind of a mixture of both. They make those?
2: What? No, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Perfect. Well, welcome, James. Really appreciate you having you on. No, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for asking me. How about we start in, and, and this is really an interesting question we ask for every recruiter because, uh, and you're not a recruiter, no. but I, I oh, no. want to No, you're far away from recruiter, but yeah. how, what was your journey to get to employment brand? I've never heard of anyone choosing being in college, be like, I'm going to be an employment no. brand.
2: So how did you get there? Honestly, I, I started to hear people who are taking programs in college for employer brand. And I'm just like, what? How is that a thing? I mean, it just it, it boggles the mind that it's a thing. No, it's a very European thing, I think, more than anything else. Uh, but it, I just can't even grasp it. So I spent, I, I like to refer to myself as a marketing agnostic. I have done every kind of marketing under the sun. Consumer marketing, event marketing, pharmaceutical marketing, B2B marketing, B2C marketing, nonprofit marketing, state government marketing. Yes, there is a state government marketing. It's bad. Don't do it. Why? Stay away. Run. I, you know, Why? everybody has to learn the hard way. I'm usually me twice as much. Um, so I did everything. I, and I do it, you know, it's like, oh, let's try this. Oh, let's try this. And I just, I'm a born marketer. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's clearly a DNA level problem. Uh, the doctors can't solve it. So they just go ahead and go to work every day. And so I realized that over time is that marketing is the same wherever you go. I mean, the concept of marketing is very straightforward. Who Identify your market. Identify what that market cares about. Write a message that aligns what you sell with what they care about. Put it in front of them cash or check I mean that's the, that's the, that's the whole thing and yeah there's metrics yeah there's tools yeah you want to learn how to do some stuff but in the end that's the basic idea and I did that for 15 20 years I'm old and I got poached into a weird agency I'd never heard of in a world called recruitment marketing I'd never heard of before but they said well you, you're, you know all this marketing stuff and you have got all the digital stuff and you job hop like a like a son of a whatever so you obviously understand how recruiting works and how I'm like yeah sure they go put it all together I went oh, that's interesting. And I just fell in love with it. I mean, flat out. And people think I'm insane when I say it. And th- those two things are not mutually exclusive. But I absolutely fell in love with it because unlike every other kind of marketing where the, the model is the same, whatever you do, where it's just push more ads out, get more eyeballs, get more, 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 more. Marketing is a model of more. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's what they get paid for. They want more customers and more sales and more money and more margins and all that wonderful stuff. But I had stumbled into the only kind of marketing where more was bad. I was like, what? I don't understand this. It's like it was like almost like stumbling into a weird tribe in the Brazilian rainforest that had never seen other people. And you're like, this is crazy. This is a whole other world. And so what happens is, is recruitment marketing, and then which became for me employer brand, is the idea that. More is not better. In fact, better is better. More is usually worse. It makes recruiters' lives harder. It's uh, you know, it's predicated on that idea that the bigger the haystack, the more needles. When in fact, the bigger the haystack usually means more hay, not more needles. And so, it's a game of quality. And to me, it's the only kind of marketing I've ever seen. And I've, I've, I've you know, and I say this, and I keep waiting for someone to finally find you know, pick one that says, "Nope, you forgot about." yacht marketing or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, you're right. That is obviously a quality game, but no one's ever done that. So it's the only place where quality matters more than quantity. And to me, it means that all bets are off. Everything we've learned over the last, let's call it 100 years of marketing, consumer marketing, brand marketing, it's all out the window. It, you have to rewrite all the rules. You have to you reinvent what you think it means to brand, to market, to put ideas out into people's minds, to get people to want to work there. And so to me, because there's so much kind of left undone and left unfigured out, it's absolutely where I live. It's why I write. It's why I talk. It's why I talk with my hands, you know, whatever I do. <laughs> um, it's why I go so meta all the time. Apparently I just went meta on being meta. Enjoy that. Um, It's why I do what I do. And that's why I love it. So to me, it was absolutely like every good employer brander. I landed in it by accident, but it's exactly where I belong.
0: Well, your passion shines through when uh, listening to your podcast. Uh, By the way, the Talent Cast is definitely a podcast if you're into employer brands. So your passion has shown through. Um, It's really interesting. So you went from being a practitioner as well, as you are right now. Mm -hmm. And then what made you decide to, because you wrote, um, your first The Employer Brand Handbook first, right? Sort of.
2: Technically, I
0: wrote Talent Chooses You first. I wrote
2: that like a year and a half. I was waiting for some work to come in. And I was kind of, at the time, I was an independent consultant. And the the fear of being an independent consultant is that was the last job you've ever had. And so you're like, oh, God, please, I need something else. I need another job. And I was waiting, and it was Christmas. So there's nothing going on whole world's dead. And so I said, I'm just going to put it all on paper. I'm just going to dump it all out there. And it started as this really kind of long blog post that became this monster. And by the time it got to like 60,000 words, it said, okay, I can't just be me. It's got to be other smart people. And so I got to ask my friends, Hey, would you just kind of do an interview with me so I could stick it in the book and make it a little more well-rounded. Then it sat because I was waiting to figure out, do I publish it? Does someone else publish it? What do I do with it? And I got busy. And once I finally figured out what to do with it, it started its own process. And I had a weird, another weird long weekend. And I said, let me just put down everything I know about recruiting. And it became the first book. So it kind of got weird, you know, in weird ways. Order, but because the recruiting book was it's twenty thousand words, you can read it in a day. It's it's very tactical. It's do this, type this, send this, say this. It's very hands on, which is very unlike me. Usually, I'm very more conceptual and theoretical. the The bigger book, Talent Chooses You, is a lot more of a philosophy. You know, a philosophy approach to what it means to be an employer brand. So it does kind of do both sides, and I think that being forced to get real tactical and really nitty-gritty, hands-on, hands-dirty. It forces me to think better about the bigger stuff. So to me, one feeds over the other. So I have kind of the second volume of that book all about metrics. It's already outlined. I just have to just sit down and put it on the page. because um, I'm, 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 oh. I've just absolutely become absolutely fascinated with metrics and what it means, and predictive metrics and dashboards and KPIs and all this stuff.
0: Great. So, so When do you plan to uh, release yeah. your, your last book? Uh, or, and- September? Okay. So you, everyone listening has time to read the first two books before you release that yeah. one. So it's just, just so like Harry Potter. Or you, or you don't understand what happens in book three if
2: you don't read book one and book two. Come on. Exactly. Come on. Voldemort did so, what? What? So, Snape is good? Snape is bad? I don't know.
1: So I have to say, James, um, it, it was like you wrote this to me. Because there's there's in the very beginning of the book you said unless you're one of, what is you made some comment about unless you're one of those weird people that actually reads the pages before we get into the chapters yeah. well that's me yeah. um, not only that but I'm also the type of person who's gonna like I'm making notes I'm nice. highlighting. I'm, nice. I'm like, nice. I own this. I, this is not from the library. I own yeah, you, this. You destroyed so, the
2: resale value <laughs> kind of what you did there.
1: So, unless, of course, yeah. um, I am going to ask you at the end of the show um, how I can get 10 signed copies sent to me because I'm giving these to my client. But, you know, before I get into my question, I need to mm-hmm. know, I don't, I don't get the pineapple.
2: I don't either. Okay. Legitimately, I don't know. I, and I always, once I okay. nailed down the cover, I said, I got to write a chapter about why a pineapple. And honestly... It's, so the book is completely, and this is, this is such a, not the conversation you expected to have, but the book is literally self-published. I wrote it with the exception of copy editing, which I paid someone to do. I laid it out on InDesign. I redesigned all my diagrams on Illustrator. I picked the cover. I put it all together by myself just to kind of say I did it because frankly, right. you know, whatever. And so the cover is the hardest part because you're like, I- I- what, oh, okay. what could it be and so I asked all my friends what should it be and I had great ideas about what about lots of doors and it's a lot of choice choosing and what about you know and so I came up with every goofy idea and I kind of told asked all my friends what do you think and honestly the, the pineapple was just so eye-catching and just so random they kind of went that sounds like exactly what you're doing yeah yep that's fair enough and that it, is that, you that is the full that justification of why the pineapple
0: well it's yeah. so funny because me and Shelly were talking about <laughs> it I'm like is there marketing? Like, is there something in marketing there's, that we're missing? Like, we're even googling, we be googling this. Watermelon. <laughs>
1: like, how oh, does sorry. this? Like,
0: like and, uh, marketing. There, there's something to
1: it. I, and you know, I, I do have a teenage daughter, and and she's very artistic. Um, I asked her what she thought it meant. She mm-hmm. said, "I don't know, but I think pineapp- pineapples are meant to be like some sort of phallic symbol."
2: Okay. <laughs> well, that was poor marketing on my part. Let's be fair, recruitment NH- and HR uh, and employer brand is not exactly what you call a male centric organization. Not,
1: and it's not exactly sexy. So, you that's know, that's a
2: big fella. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, you got to look through that straw real close to get there. Uh,
1: I'm just one. saying, I'm just saying, that was through the lens of a 16 year old. So, um, okay. you know. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you did mention about your interviews and that was actually something that as I got through the book, I was really looking forward to what people were going to say. And I actually wrote like how many times when you ask them, what is employer brand? And they start with an explanation on employment value proposition. And I want to barf.
2: Yeah.
1: Employment. Oh, anyways, it's so like, is it still 1982? I mean, hello. Anyways, so. Um, I loved, so your friends and I want to be their friends too. Um, Charo and Alina. Oh, um, yes, I want to be their friends.
2: I'm I so do. thrilled that I get to I call them my friends. I and, and honestly oh. Elena's in Chicago and if it wasn't for the coronavirus we'd be having tacos about once every two or three months we just sit yeah. down and go what's up in your world and, yeah. and I always refer to her as my own personal masterclass or my own personal mastermind group because she's yeah. just so good at bouncing you know calling me on my on my bullshit and kind of bouncing stuff back at me and yeah. letting me into her world because her because she runs you know Own Skill Scout super incredibly uh, successful but still small business trying to figure it stuff out so it's Passing to see. Cheru, she's out in London and she and I have never spoken to each other where it wasn't part of a panel or an interview. So we are, we have a mutual admiration society. In fact, I want, I'm literally trying to schedule her for my, for my podcast in the short order, uh, just so I can have a chance to have a, uh, you know, a human conversation with her and not just be on. Uh, They are amazing, smart people.
1: Yes. And so here's what I picked up on. And something that I think when it comes to employer brand, um, I think the biggest miss, and I think they picked up on it, and that is that your employees are the last ones to find out. Uh, I've seen some of the sexiest employer brands. I mean, this stuff was freaking amazing. They even had like those wall stickers that went over the the elevator, and when it opened up and closed, it gave you a different yeah. message. It was fucking oh, wow. amazing. Yeah. But the employees didn't get it. They were like, oh, so where did this come from? So, so tell me in, in your experience, when should an employer brand practitioner be engaging people, the people that are inside?
2: The people, the people inside. Yeah. I I find, yeah. When I was consulting, it was always a fascinating process to to reveal an employer brand to its company. It's like I said, Hey, you're named Bob, and you're like, yeah, we all know I'm named Bob. It's like I was never telling them anything they didn't know. I was just kind of packaging in a way to say, this is who you are. Really what I was looking for was, this this sounds like you, right? This is what we are. And I think the next step is to, to actually propagate that and socialize it throughout the company to say, this is what we heard from you, and hopefully, whatever process you did involved asking them why do you like to work here. And, and, and phrase better, please. Don't don't use that kind of chestnut of why do you like to work here because you never get good answers that way. Exactly. Uh, there's a million tricks to getting good information that way, but that is not one of them. But you ask them what they you know what they you know, what they, they like, what they're rewarded for, what they're valued for, why they show up every morning, why they choose this company every morning instead of another company. If they were looking for another company, what are the things that motivate them and move them? And you put it all together. And so hopefully you can say, we listen to a lot of you, and this is a distillation of what we heard. And Part of the process should be how far away were we? Now, if you do it right, they go, that's Not how I would have phrased it, but that's not off the mark, and that's really kind of where you go. Okay, that's in a good spot because then once you have this kind of EVP idea, the idea is never to. And I and I think most people get stuck on this. They think the EVP should be on a poster. They think the EVP should be on a wall. They think like it's a you get like squeezy dolls with your EVP printed on it, and it's distributed throughout the entire company. It's like no, no one except for yeah, no one except you and maybe like ten people inside the company should even know what the EVP is because it's conceptual it's an idea why do people work for ibm that's in the individual minds of everybody so the concept exists and it's written in some sort of word but then you find about a half a trillion ways to extrapolate it to different audiences what does it mean to nurses what does it mean to administrators what does it mean to doctors what does it mean to machine learning people what does it mean to machine learning people in the bay area what does it mean machine learning people to new york how do you to men to women to blacks african americans latinx gay, LGBTQ, veterans, whoever it is, how do you allow them to get the concept and say, okay, now put it in your own words because I don't want you to use my words because my words are just from me and my tiny little brain. I want you to absorb it and put it out in words that matter to you because- if you're a machine learning person and you talk, as a machine learning person does, to other machine learning type people, they will go, this person speaks my language and I'm going to listen. Yeah. Machine learning people do not listen to me because I sound like a moron to them. And that's fine because, <laughs> let's be fair, I mostly am. But they, you, it, it's about – it's almost a viral process where you're trying to – I know. You're trying to get a word in edgewise. You can't believe <laughs> that. you're listening to <laughs> me. You're trying – where is the mute button? My goodness. It's amazing. He just keeps talking. It's like he's oh, earned a living. I want some it of the, whatever coffee you had today, I want some delicious. of it. Holy
1: delicious, <laughs>
2: delicious, but that's the idea. It's conceptual <laughs> in yes, nature gotcha. and then you just push it out and let people kind of say, how do you take it and put it out? And I always go, my, I, I, I tripped over this idea once in a, in a podcast and I said, if I tell you like the movie Airplane, you've all seen the movie Airplane, it's a classic, yeah. it's a wonderful movie, but if I tell you the movie Airplane is a love story, you might laugh. If I tell you it's a comedy, you will laugh. If I tell you it's a disaster movie, you'll be very confused. But all those things are true. Yes. The movie itself is a concept. And what you bring to it and what you take away from it is mm-hmm. wholly upon you. And I can't ex- begin to imagine what any other human being, I barely know myself, I don't know what other people do with it. So I, it's an idea of how do I package it so you can take from it what's useful to you mm-hmm. and take it out to the world. And I'm going to find a way to leverage the heck out of that.
1: Mm-hmm yeah so you're saying that employer brand needs to be built with people all the time constantly, so it's not a matter of when it is that they are, oh, yeah you're engaging the staff yeah. from day one,
2: correct, yeah. okay, as Tom Peters would say, you know why do you care so much about the people? Well, what the hell else is there? yeah businesses are yep. legal constructs, exactly. uh, the, they're not even the buildings they are, they're, they're, existing in. They're not even the paperwork. They're, they're, they're man, they're, um, you know, uh, the, the whatever their, you know, contractual stuff is it's the people. And without people, you literally have zero business. And if you have zero business, why the heck are you talking to me? It's always about the people. It starts with the people. It ends with the people. It's for the people. It's about the people. It's of the people. It's with the people. It's the people. <laughs> Got it.
1: <laughs> so, do you know, um, I know, um that the whole concept of employer branding is um is new but it's still young um yes. and even more so here certainly Serge and I are on the the western side of Canada and we do tend to be you know I, I still talk to many people even um interestingly enough VPs of HR who look at me like what's imp- employer branding. Like a dog I, kid you, hard trick I kid you not. I kid you not. And so thank you for so clearly defining it. And, you know, just simply what people say about you when they're off the clock, right? Yeah. Like yeah. love that. And so, um, you know, so once we start, once I start that conversation with HR people or marketing people, um, some of them get it immediately and some of them don't, but yeah. it, at any rate, um, one of the things that I know traditional marketing people start to pay more and more attention to is sentiment Mm -hmm. Um, and we do now i mean i know in the past i mean it wasn't that hard right you go on linkedin and you can tell just by the absence of Mm -hmm. anything exciting written on your profile because you work at um you know the city of calgary right you pretty much get a sense by the absence of any enthusiasm that it's not or maybe it is a real fun
2: place to work you'd never know well well, well, hold on Um, though but hold on who goes to the city of Calgary to have fun? Who would work in that city government to have fun? The pitch is stability, right. right? The reason you work there. And so you should be able to see those messages to stability, even if they're, they never say stability, but they speak around it. And it's like, it's the water, it's the, it's the water they, you know, they're, they're drinking yeah. it's the air they breathe. It's just around them so much that you go, I can't help but read this and think stable and a little bit boring. Cause frankly, it's, not everybody wants to have fun at work. Some people just want to put in their sure. eight hours and go home. Absolutely. And that's great. So that's the thing is that, you know, and I love to kind of beat up on postal services and departments of motor vehicles and state governments because they are very much of that flavor. But there are people who think that's a dream job and yes. I, it's not for me. Oh. And I look at it going, uh, I did my time. Thanks. I'm good. Um, one, of
1: your, one of your interviews said there's a lid for every pot. Uh, yes. Just because I yes. would never do that job doesn't mean it isn't absolutely perfect for somebody yeah, 100% else. So, true. so you know, there's a social listening is this concept that that we're kind of borrowing from traditional mm-hmm. marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that? Do you see companies using it? Is anybody using it well for employer brand and and or is yeah. anybody doing
2: a really bad job at it?
1: But it, is it a thing? It is absolutely brand? a thing. It okay. is absolutely
2: a thing. And the okay. the, the, the trick is. So let's say, and let's pick a company that nobody here in this room has any connection to. Let's pick Honda. Anybody here related to Honda? Okay, Honda. It's a lovely company, nothing, nothing wrong with them. And you own the employer brand for Honda. So you do listening for Honda, except Mm -hmm. all it is is, is is thrilling. I love the motorbike, I love the car, I hate the car, I hate the motorbike, whatever it is. Where is the employer branding message in that? And when you start to attach a consumer brand to that. The employer brand message is so hard to find. It's so hard to pick that particular cherry out of a big old pile or whatever it is. And so it's very hard to kind of get any sense of it. At the same time, employer brand and consumer brand are not disconnected. There is what I refer to the, the consumer brand halo. The reason why a Google... Mm-hmm. has an amazing employer brand, has nothing to do with the fact that they have amazing employer brand people. They had that great employer brand well before any of us were thinking about employer brand. It's because everybody knew the products. Everybody used the products. Everybody liked the product. And there was kind of a, a kind of a halo effect on, oh, it must be, these are amazing products. I bet this is an amazing place to work. Now, we're not all Google. Most, in fact, none of us here are Google. Um, so there is kind of relationships between the consumer brand and the employer brand that you can leverage. At the same time, Yes, you abs- if you can establish some sort of kind of central hub of information, and that's really what Glassdoor sold for a very, very long time. No one's going to Glassdoor to complain about the products. They're there to talk about the brand. Yeah. Are they the one and only arbiter of all things employer brand? Well, they would have loved to tell you that for 10 years, and I think they're wrong, but they're not telling you that anymore. They've, they've moved on to other pastures. They're doing other things. But that was a great way of saying, look, if I want to take a quick sample of what people generally think about what it's like to work here, one, I know everybody's going to Glassdoor, whether you like it or not, they are. Mm-hmm. Two, they're getting information straight from the horse's mouth because everybody who posted here works here. So if they're complaining, they're complaining about stuff they've seen or done or expectations that weren't met or what have mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. So it's a good kind of way to say, okay, look, yes, there's a lot of information out in the world and a lot of it has to do with my employer brand, but I can't find it because it's just running around looking for another proverbial needle in the haystack. I'm just going to go where I know I can have it. So it's a good sample size, but it's very, very basic, right? If you know everybody's looking at yeah. it, you know it's a voice in the chorus that they're hearing. It's not right. the entire chorus. And you want to do things like look at what Google says. What's it like to work mm-hmm. at blah, 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 submit yeah. You know, go to Google image search. What's it like to work at whatever your company is? See what pops up. It's fascinating. Is it the office? Is it people having fun at a picnic? Or is it something, some joke somebody made on Twitter, right? When did you become a meme somehow? And now you're in trouble. There's so many different voices out there. LinkedIn reviews, I guess. Indeed reviews, I guess. And there's a million places you can go to look for sentiment to understand The best way to use sentiment is to start by saying, what would a candidate in, you know, a a stranger who wants to know what it's like, where would they go? And the answer is very simple. There's about four or five rating sites that are any good. Mm -hmm. Go there. Disagree, agree, I do not care, but that's where they're going. That's the information they're getting. Google, LinkedIn, and Indeed. That's like 90% of it right there. So if you can kind of hit those notes and you can say... If I can look at this information through a stranger's eyes and not through my own eyes and filter out the stuff I already know and have, you know, avoid the curse of knowledge, what am I learning about this? Mm-hmm. What am I absorbing from it? And then how do you tie that to a consumer brand? If, ever, if this is a product that nobody likes that's a, that's a necessary evil, you know, like your cable company, your cell phone provider, these are companies that no one goes, woohoo, I can't wait to call my cable company. No one has ever said that in their life. So, okay, that's part of the brand. It's part of it. So you can't just start with a clean sheet of paper and say, ah, oh, we have a 4.5 glass door review. Good employer brand. No, it's like saying of oh, the orchestra, the flutes are killing it. But by the way, <laughs> there's a whole other orchestra and they may be drowning out the rest of those flutes. And by the way, I make Where these things up. come up with this shit? Oh, I make my these God. things up. It's literally yeah. how my Where brain
1: works. I, honestly... <laughs> I don't know where you come. You are. I wrote this down in preparation for our our podcast uh-huh. with you. It said, "You are absolutely the king of analogies." you are yes, hilarious oh my god that. and and the book reviews you know what you know what you missed opportunity is you mm-hmm. need to put that right on the front cover the back cover it's how fucking funny you are
2: oh my god
0: i had someone who worked for me who oh. used to who used to
2: write down the metaphors because it's the stuff i don't even realize i'm saying it i'm just going like, i'm trying to explain this idea and i get into it and she wrote <laughs> down once she goes, I literally don't know what you were referring to, but you once said you asked for a horse, but I gave you two guys in a horse costume. And I went, That <laughs> means something. That's that, that's that's evocative of something. I just don't know what. But you know, oh in the it sense. <laughs>
0: Definitely means something. So, <laughs> the majority of our audience, James, is not, um, their background is not in marketing. Mm-hmm. Generally, they're recruitment practitioners mm-hmm. or recruitment leaders. And one of the aspects, like we talked about, Glassdoor reviews, I completely agree with you. Part of the challenge is anonymous reviews on the internet are Fun. what they are, but <laughs> really, That's what people are going and they're actually looking at So you can hate it or love it. Now, hold on. The reason why Glassdoor exists is because
2: it was filling a vacuum. And that vacuum was because of recruiters and recruiting leaders who said, whatever you do, don't say nothing. Don't write it down on a career site. Give them just this wallpaper paragraph on the About Us page that is the full extent of what they could learn about it. Tell them nothing. They treated candidates like mushrooms. They kept them in the dark. They fed them crap. They did not want to have, you know, because they they thought, hey, some candidate has a bad experience and they walk away. What do I care? There's a million more of them, except yeah. we're in a world where those candidates talk to each other. And there's a company who makes or made a lot of money collecting that information and serving it back up. So it's their own fault. But I get that if in a world without you know complete transparency – shutting up and closing the doors and pulling the curtains down is is an appropriate strategy, but that's where all this stuff comes from. It is a reaction to having no information. And by the way, the changes have not really happened on most career sites. They're still pretty much junk. They're pretty much worthless, you know, uh, uh, a, you know, a, just hallmark cards of information that mean nothing fortune cookies in in paragraph form and you're like i don't know what the heck this company does and yet you're expecting me to give you my personal information and maybe some references phone numbers uh no no thank you oh so oh and do this do this
1: personality assessment before we decide if we're going to interview you
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've decided you're oh psychotic based God. on some survey we found in a Cosmo. It's like, are <laughs> you kidding me? It's true. Oh, yeah, but that oh. but that has been, but <clears throat> recruiters have had all the power for almost 100 years. Yeah. I mean, you, we all remember the times in which, because we're all just old enough to remember the Sunday paper and opening up and looking at a small block of text and saying, yes, I will send you three pages of my personal information P.O. Box 557, wherever the heck this is, who yeah. I don't know. I mean, we didn't know any better because we had no choice. But once we have the choice, candidates should expect and frankly, demand every single day to say, I want to know more before I walk in the door.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's interesting. So uh, a lot of people I talk to that are talent acquisition leaders when they come in this has happened to me coming into new companies the first thing that the ceo or my vp it comes to me is like why can we do a butter glass door reviews <laughs> they suck and yeah. like none of the rest really matters to them like they see this as a visual hey we're yeah 2.9 yeah part of your job is to get us to 4.5 and <laughs> like my reaction i'm sorry. sorry okay there's going to need to be a lot done so what's your overall thoughts how like put yourself in the shoes of like a talent acquisition leader, they're being asked this, how would you approach that? Yeah, it's a two-sided issue because
2: Glassdoor will tell you and has always said, we're just the mirror we hold up to you. This is what people say about you. And whether we collect or not, if you go to a bar and say, what's it like to work at, pick a company, this is what you're going to hear. So that's not our doing. We just collected it and stuck it and charged people ads for it because, you know, we're good internet citizens. So if that's what the expectation is, you have to start by saying, okay, how are we treating our people? And honestly, I always I have a bit of a bugbear when it comes to Glassdoor because I think, and Glassdoor has always tried to say, our score is your employer brand. Our score is the simplest kind of metric KPI you can apply to it. And yes, yes, if I have a 2.9, I'm going to think two or three times longer about applying for that job And if it's a 4.1. Totally buy that. But Glassdoor scores is actually, and no one wants to hear that. It's a review of your recruiting because mm-hmm. if I tell you, you're going to walk into the office day one and there's going to be a pile of puppies for you to play in all day long. And day two, we're going to have a pie eating contest. And it's going to be amazing. And day three massages all day long. <laughs> and the rec- you know, and that's what the recruiter says. Cause you know, I don't have any information It doesn't say anything about on a career site. They just say perks and world-class benefits. Maybe that's what this means. And so I say, yeah, I want to work here. And I show up and it's only half day puppy pile. Now you have now broken my expectations. Am I giving you a four, four stars or am I giving you a two stars? This might be world-class expectations. This might truly be puppy piles every other day. But if you promise me a full day and I got a half a day, two stars it is. Glassdoor is a review of recruiter and their ability to set expectations. That's it. And every, no one wants to think about that. No one wants to talk about that. So the next phase of it is, okay, you want to change your recruiting scores, or you want to change your glass door scores, set proper expectations. How do you do that? Well, you build collateral, you build talking points, you build an EVP and extrapolate it in lots of different ways. You build profiles and web pages and content pieces and videos to say, look, when the recruiter says puppy pile here's the video that says, this is what we mean. Look, actual people are people in a picture in a puppy pile, And I don't know why I picked something with so many P sounds, but there I am. <laughs> but I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this metaphor. And now I'm kind of desperate for someone to throw me a lifeline. But you would say, here's the pictures of the puppy piles. And here's people passionate about puppy piles. And now I'm looking for other P words in my head. It's, there's something wrong with me. And so <laughs> you show it and you validate the things the recruiter says. And that way, if the recruiter says puppy pile and you look and you see videos of puppy pile, I guess puppy pile is a thing. It's not just something I was told. And so that allows me to say, even if I don't love the job, that's the difference between a two-star and a three-star review. And enough two-stars turning into three-stars is the beginning. Getting from a three to a four is setting expectations and then meeting expectations. And that's the name of the game. Treat your employees better. give them, Tell them what to expect and deliver every single flipping day. And then have the recruiters trained on those things and build content around it to make it true
0: really good per- perspective uh if in reality recruiters sometimes forget they really own a candid experience from oh, yeah, start yeah. to the end yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes we forget about that we forget how important we are in the process and how important we are we're basically God. a phase you are someone coming into a company like we're the problem is,
2: and the but the company treats you like a cost center and what do you do with the cost yeah. center you squeeze it shut you make it so it's small as humanly possible which is why you yeah. don't get as many tools as you need you're not given the time to build relationships with with people you're not going to hire this second it's but you are absolutely right. It is the face, you know, the recruiters are the ground war of the employer brand game. And if you don't have recruiters who get what that means, if they're just expected to be cowboys and cowgirls out put, looking to put butts in seats and whatever way they can do it, yeah, you're going to get all sorts of nonsense being spoken. And you're going to get all sorts of negative glass door reviews, which, by the way, becomes its own kind of cycle where bad reviews lead, makes it harder to find more people, which means you have to say more bullshit, which means you end up with worse reviews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a downward cycle.
1: What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On press box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small. And some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.